Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to our Black History Podcast. First, we're going to briefly introduce ourselves and give a little background on why we decided to work on this blog. So I'm Samantha Garrison. I'm a junior, and I'm a double major with Stratcom and Business Management. My name is Elizabeth Santano. I'm a freshman Stratcom major. I'm Christina Giglio. I'm a sophomore music and professional and creative writing double major. And I'm Anais Rivera, and I'm a sophomore English and professional and creative writing double major. So now we're just going to go around and say why we chose to write for this blog specifically. So um, I chose to write for this blog because there are so many historical black figures out there who have never had a voice to share their accomplishments. For example, I wrote an article about Anne Lowe, the woman who designed Jacqueline Kennedy's wedding dress. I decided to write for this blog because I thought it would be a good opportunity to recognize black figures who may not always get the recognition or credit they deserve. I also believed it was a great opportunity for me to learn more about black history and read about significant figures and events that I may not have known before. I wanted to write for a blog dedicated to black history because sharing the stories of minority groups can help spread awareness about the struggles and accomplishments of those who have been historically shunned and silenced by the majority. For me, this is a very personal topic. My ethnicity is Puerto Rican, but I racially identify as black, and this has caused me to have a different experience living here in the United States, which is predominantly white. And I am very vocal and involved in social justice issues, especially regarding race and the LGBT community. And while we have made a lot of progress in decreasing racism, we still have a long way to go, which is why I'm using my voice and this blog, as well as this podcast, to prove that. So today, this podcast is going to focus on racial violence throughout the years in the United States. We are going to divide this into four main time periods, starting with the slave trade, proceeding through the Civil War and Reconstruction era, the Jim Crow and Civil Rights era, which will finally bring us to the present day. Obviously, the United States has a horrible, violent history on an extremely large scale when it comes to slavery. In 1860, there were 3.9 million slaves in the United States. Slaves were degraded and treated brutally. They were beaten, branded, raped, whipped, and mutilated, even sometimes killed. They were dehumanized and treated as inferior beings. There are many stories of slaves and the terrible treatment they received that are still known and read today. For example, Frederick Douglass, an abolitionist, describes the poor treatment and violent behavior that he and his family members faced during his time as a slave in his autobiography titled Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. One excerpt from Douglass' novel describes the first time he witnessed his Aunt Hester get whipped. He said, the louder she screamed, the harder he whipped. And where the blood ran fastest, there he whipped longest. He would whip her to make her scream and whip her to make her hush. And not until overcome by fatigue would he cease to swing the blood-clotted cowskin. I remember the first time I ever witnessed this horrible exhibition. I was quite a child, but I well remember it. I never shall forget it whilst I remember anything. It was the first of a long series of outrages of which I was doomed to be a witness and a participant. I think this quote shows how ruthlessly violent that slave owners were to slaves. It's very difficult to read or hear such stories, but it's important that we know them. In February, I went to the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History in Detroit with Anna on a school-sponsored trip, and there are sections that were extremely hard to walk through because they portrayed racial violence so realistically. We saw wax figures and mannequins chained in dungeons, tied to trees, lynched, branded, packed onto slave ships, and being auctioned off. All the mannequins had voices and sound effects as well. Hearing their pleas for help and wails and agony made it all the more painful. Unfortunately, slavery set a precedent for racial violence in the United States. 
Even after slavery was abolished, violence toward African Americans persisted, and sadly, it still happens today. Now I'm going to turn the conversation over to Christina, who will discuss the progression of racial violence into the Civil War and Reconstruction era. During the Civil War and Reconstruction era, which was roughly 1861 to 1877, slavery was the divider of American society. The settled social order and power between the Union and Confederacy, or North and South, regarding slavery. Lincoln, who loved the Union, believed that the nation was the incarnation of a, a universal set of ideas centered on political democracy and human liberty. Therefore, it was America's duty to abolish slavery if they wanted to claim the nation as representative of the world of human liberty. Through emancipation was not the initial goal of the war, and because slavery was the root of America's political crisis during this period, radical Republicans in Congress and abolitionists clamored for action against slavery, and slaves by the thousands fled the plantations wherever the Union Army appeared. Lincoln concluded that this initial policy of fighting war solely to preserve the Union had to change. Thus, the Emancipation Proclamation of 63 declared that all persons held as slaves within the Confederacy are and henceforth shall be free. However, slaves currently held within the United States or Confederate states captured by the Union were not freed, and this limited freedom would only be issued upon Union victory. Despite these issues with the proclamation, it allowed black men to fight in the Union Army and Navy, and by the end of the war, almost 200,000 black soldiers and sailors had fought for the Union. This would change the dynamic of race relations post-war and place black citizenship to equal protection under the new law in the post-war game plan. With Union victory in 18. 65, in the beginning of the Reconstruction era came the idea of civil rights. Former slaves sought out the right to vote as part of their desire for empowerment and autonomy. As soon as the Civil War ended, and in some parts of the South even earlier, blacks who had been free before the war came together with emancipated slaves in conventions, parades, and petition drives to demand suffrage and on occasion to organize their own freedom battles. However, President Andrew Jackson's re Reconstruction program placed political power in the hands of white Southerners who enacted the Black Codes, which were laws that limited the rights of former slaves that attempted to push them back into plantation life. Thus, the Republican majority act enacted the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which established ideas of birthright, citizenship, and equal rights for all Americans. This amendment prohibited states from abridging the privileges and immunities of citizens or denying them the equal protection under the law. This broad language of the, the excuse me, the broad language of this document led to debate in Congress and the federal courts of what can constitute legal equality, a process that occupied the courts for much of the 20th century. Later, the 15th Amendment barred the states from making race a qualification for voting. Thus, suffrage remained a privilege rather than a right, subject to numerous regulations by the state. Yet, by the time Reconstruction legislation had run its course, the federal government had taken upon itself the responsibility of ensuring that states respected the equal civil and political rights of all American citizens. The right of vote. Excuse me, I'm so sorry. The right to vote expanded to eliminate the barrier of race was still restricted to men despite the demands of ERA's women's suffrage movement and no steps were taken to provide an economic underpinning for African Americans in freedom. The struggle for equal rights and fair treatment of for all citizens has continued throughout the century, which Samantha will expand upon regarding the Jim Crow laws and civil rights movement. So what were the Jim Crow laws? They were laws that enforced racial segregation in the South. They required the separation of whites from African Americans in public transportation, schools, parks, cemeteries, theaters, and restaurants. This was justified by a decision made in the U.S. Supreme Court case, Plessy versus Ferguson, 
that whites and African Americans would be treated as separate but equal, though the treatment was far from equal. Taking the example of water fountains, the fountain designated for African Americans would be dirty, rusted, and unhealthy to drink from in comparison to the fountain for whites. Moving on to lynching, lynching was the illegal public killing of an accused person by a mob. This involved hanging, burning, shooting, beating, and more. The fear of black men raping white women became a public rationalization for the lynching of African Americans. The Ku Klux Klan uh, is a secret society that terrorizes African Americans still to this day. They harass, beat, bomb, and lynch African Americans. There are small independent Klan organizations that exist today along with other white supremacist groups. As to the civil rights movement, this movement was a long struggle for African-American social justice in terms of gaining equal rights under the law. Even though the Civil War abolished slavery, slavery it did not end discrimination or violence against African-Americans. For example, Bloody Sunday um, involved 600 peaceful demonstrators in the Selma to Montgomery March as they were protesting the killing of a black civil rights activist by a white police officer. They were eventually physically blocked by the Alabama state and local police, but kept moving forward, refusing to stand down. The demonstrators were viciously beaten and tear gassed by police, and dozens were hospitalized. This whole thing was televised and became known as Bloody Sunday. Also, there were civil rights leaders that were assassinated, as you may know, including Malcolm X, who was the former Nation of Islam leader and organization of Afro-American Unity founder. He was assassinated at a rally. Martin Luther King Jr. was a civil rights leader and Nobel Peace Prize recipient. He was assassinated on his hotel room's balcony. I will now turn the conversation over to Anna, who will discuss the existence of racial violence in today's society. Based on recent news, I'm not sure if things are getting any better when it comes to racial violence. There seems to be a lot of backtracking on all of the progress that we've made. Last year, on October 17, 2018, there was a lynching. And yes, you heard me right. Donya Jones, the 24-year-old son of Ferguson activist Melissa McKinney's, was found hanging from a tree by bed sheets. The sheets found with his body do not match any owned by his family. His pants were pulled down and his face was bloody, yet the police originally ruled the case as a suicide. When I first heard this, I thought it was mind-boggling. McKinney's had also received death threats before the incident, yet her son, who was in the process of starting his way into the real estate business, and his death were not taken seriously. McKinney's also shared gruesome pictures of the incident, which I have seen myself. They were troubling to look at, but it was certainly a wake-up call. These pictures have been deleted since originally being posted, but not before thousands of people were able to reshare the photos to raise awareness of the situation with the hashtag justice for John A. Jones. This is not the first African-American man who has had his own hashtag. Many black men have lost their lives to police brutality in recent years. Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray, and even some women such as Sandra Bland. People have used social media as well as other methods to express their distress and anger towards these wrongful and unjustified deaths, even more so since most, if not all, of the white police officers that were involved received little to no punishment for their literally deadly actions. And in even more recent news, we have the case of 36-year-old actor Jesse Smollett. This one is really complicated, so bear with me here. Smollett, known for, mostly for his role of Jamal Lyon on the TV show Empire, was attacked by two men in Chicago as part of a hate crime against him being both black and gay. However, the Chicago Police Department claimed that he had faked the entire thing in order to 
prevent being written off the show Empire as well as to get a raise. It was said that some people who worked in production of the show would often make insensitive, racist, and homophobic jokes, which made Smollett feel uncomfortable, unsafe, and unwelcome, and understandably so. Smollett received a hateful letter, which included derogatory language to the set of Empire, and witnesses claimed that he sent it to himself in order to prove the disrespectful crew members that their behavior was not funny but hurtful. The Chicago PD theorized that he then staged the attack when the letter was not taken seriously. The investigation was ongoing with the Chicago PD determined to prove that this was not a real hate crime but ploy for his own personal gain. There were countless people who used social media to voice their varying opinions on this subject. Some people were offended, confused, and upset that Smollett would do such a thing. Others continued to fend for his innocence, saying that the Chicago Police Department was just trying to make Smollett seem like a greedy villain and weren't taking the hate crime seriously because there may be homophobic and racist people involved in the case by falsely reporting that Smollett orchestrated the alleged hate crime in January on himself because he was unhappy with his salary on the TV show Empire. Many people, including myself, were shocked to find that on March 23rd, Chicago prosecutors dropped all charges against Smollett just weeks after he was indicted on 16 felony counts for allegedly filing a false police report. The official report says that this was done as a deal with the Smollett's defense team, but the Chicago Police Department still maintains their belief that Smollett was set up the attack as a scam. I suppose nobody knows for sure what the truth is. To this day, there are still split feelings on the decision, with some people claiming that an innocent victim was vilified, while others are infuriated, claiming that having wealth and power in the U.S. allows you to go free of any consequences for your actions. Even Smollett's brother criticized him and accused him of being guilty of the crime. Nevertheless, this crime is absolutely disgraceful, staged or not, and nobody deserves to be discriminated against for their race, something which is completely out of their control. And that's all for today. Thank so, you for listening. We hope you guys learned something or at least gained new insights. Once again, this has been Anais, Christina, Elizabeth, and Samantha. Thank you.